This is the Parenting ADHD Podcast with Penny Williams. Each week, Penny shares proven ADHD parenting strategies and her hard-won ADHD mama wisdom. This is not your physician's podcast. Penny discusses the genuine grit of the moment-by-moment peaks and valleys of this special parenthood. It's time to beat the chaos and challenges of raising a child with ADHD. Here's your host, Penny Williams. Thanks for joining me on this next episode of the Parenting ADHD Podcast. Today I have with me Morgan Richardson, and we are going to be talking about co-parenting struggles um, when two parents don't necessarily agree on a treatment plan or um, even behavior plans within different households. Um, So I think this is going to be a great conversation for a lot of you. I know a lot of folks really struggle with this, with both parents being on the same page when it comes to their child's ADHD. Thanks for being here, Morgan, and sharing your time and expertise. Will you start by just introducing yourself to the audience? Uh, Sure. Thank you so much for having me. Um, I'm a divorce attorney in Manhattan. Um, My firm is Davidoff, Hutcher, and Citron. Um, I've been practicing family law for the last uh, 12 years, and um, both as a a litigator, but also as a mediator. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so I'm sure that you've had some experience with um, co-parenting issues, especially in the realm of divorce. Um, Absolutely. I'm also divorced, so I'm very familiar with uh, struggles involving co-parenting with another person. Um, on on a personal note and also in a professional setting. Uh, So custody issues are obviously uh, very emotionally charged for most people. Yeah. And um, that can make the conversation that much more difficult. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Let's just start, I think, by talking about um, laying some groundwork, I suppose, for what um, can people do when they find themselves in the situation? What's the first step if, say, mom wants to treat ADHD, maybe it's medication, maybe it's um, something different, and dad is absolutely opposed, or vice versa. Um, where does someone start when they find themselves in that predicament? Um, so obviously it's going to depend greatly on whether or not you're in the middle of a divorce. Do you have a pending custody case or are you simply having a a marital disagreement? Um, that aside, you know, in the court system, we're going to be looking at what is in the best interest of the child. And in determining that we're going to want to see some sort of evidence uh, about whatever this medical condition might be. Uh, what are the experts saying? Because we're simply lawyers and you are parents, but we need to know what are the medical professionals saying uh, to make a determination. If you're the parent, you know, that is in dispute with that, then you may need to find some other medical professionals to try to combat what the other parents professionals are saying. Right. And so if, if a couple is already divorced, let's say, after divorce, their child's diagnosed with ADHD and they're in disagreement about treatment. Do they have to, does one file a lawsuit? Like where do they go from that very 
beginning place if they're not already in a legal battle. Right. Okay. So if you're already divorced, then you most likely will have a divorce agreement, a separation agreement, a settlement agreement. It doesn't matter what you call it, but you'll have something in writing that outlines what the decision-making process should be if you have a dispute about parenting. So if you have a good agreement, it's going to tell you precisely what you need to do. It will say you're going to consult with an expert and he's going to consult with an expert. And then you're both going to have those experts maybe refer you to a third expert. Um, it'll have built in tiebreakers to try to avoid you going back into the legal system. Uh, because that gives you more control over your life without having to keep turning to courts over. Yeah. Just, um, if, if your agreement isn't that clear, uh, then you definitely want to get medical professionals involved. And then if you're having difficulty agreeing on what they say, then I would strongly suggest you look into finding somebody who would be called a parenting coordinator or a co-parenting therapist. Sometimes if you can find a therapist that specializes in working with co-parenting issues, that can even be covered by insurance. Um, oh, wow. So that can help you save on the costs as well. Yeah. That person will sort of then act as a mediator, if you will, to try to say, you know, let's look at what evident the evidence is and let's see if there's a way that I can reasonably help you resolve this dispute together. Um, and that's a much different sort of setting than you have than if you go straight to court. I, obviously, if the dispute is, is serious enough and, and urgent enough, you can walk into a court and bring either a post-judgment, a post-divorce action, um, or you could go in, in New York, you would go into family court and you could bring a modification or file a petition um, to modify your custody agreement. Okay. You, you could do several different things. Um, but once you're in the court system, um, you're going to have much less control over the ultimate you know, end result. And it might not actually help your parenting um, to be in that setting. It's a very adversarial setting. Yeah. So your, your, your parenting wasn't that great before. You're going to make it worse if you set foot in court. It's, it, it's pretty much you know, 80%, 90% guarantee that you're not going to help that. Yeah, um, it's going to escalate the situation, at least the emotional aspect. Right, definitely. I mean, because it, it, it is, it puts one party against the other. Mm -hmm. And while you may have that dispute and you may feel that you're already against that person, um, trying to find somebody who is, you know, a therapist or a mediator, somebody who's trying to work to get you guys to build a foundation where you can come to an agreement is always going to be better. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so for people who are not divorced, take note to add something if you do get divorced someday to the agreement as to how these sort of things will play out in the future if they're a problem, I guess. Um, that's something I had never thought about. Yeah. I mean, I like to talk about divorce agreements as sort of disaster planning agreements. You don't yeah. really need that agreement to tell you how to run your life, to tell you what's happening with the kids on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, but they're there if there is a, an absolute disaster and, you know, you can't come to an agreement. There's something has happened and there's a failure to communicate that's so bad that you do have to pull the document out. So you really want to be careful to take time um, to put that into the agreement so that you have, you know, detailed 
plans in place if in the event you can't agree. Yeah. Um, and then, so we have these parents and they can't agree on their parenting for their child and they do want to avoid court, avoid getting other people involved. Do you have some tips or strategies on kind of that almost negotiation between them as to how they can come to um, a resolution that they can both feel good about? I mean, I, I think that is going to largely depend on them. But yeah, there's definitely tips and tricks in terms of trying to remember to stay respectful, uh, trying to approach the situation with some amount of empathy so that you can sort of perceive it from the other side. Um, that is always a huge accomplishment. If you can accomplish that, um, I think you will be, you know, halfway to, to coming up with a, an agreement that works. Um, but in terms of finding someone, a neutral third party to help you, um, that can really be critical because for, from my experience, uh, most parents in this situation, it's like they're speaking two different languages. You know, he's yeah. speaking language A and she's speaking language B and it doesn't translate. They can't hear each other. So that, that neutral third party trying to help them hear each other can really do wonders because oftentimes when I'm mediating, I can see the disconnect between their communications. I can see what she's saying and how it makes sense to her. And I can see what he's saying and how it makes sense to him. And I can see how they cannot understand each other. Like the words just don't make sense to them. Um, right. And so then I can try to interpret that for each of them. And it can make, it can make huge improvements um, in, in how they are hearing each other. And then is some sort of um, official document created from that kind of mediation so that they can go forward with, I guess, some ground rules that are solidified? Um, absolutely. If you're in mediation, your goal is to get to an agreement that would be a written agreement um, that would memorialize what it is that you've agreed and, and how you've decided to come to, you know, the process of finding a compromise in the event of a dispute. Um, and the same would be true if you go to a, a parenting coordinator, they would be looking to help you hash out a parenting plan um, that would be very detailed. And the beauty of both of those options, um, from my perspective, because I've also litigated custody cases, you're not going to get the kind of really de detailed information that you want in a trial order, in a trial decision right. that a judge has like had to rush through in drafting. They've had to put it together based on evidence, and it's not going to be nuanced at all. Right. If you're able to get a written document that you've come to an agreement through a process like a, a parenting um, therapist, you're you're going to have a much more detailed document that'll save you headaches, you know, in the long run. Yeah, and whenever I see people talk about this, you know, I moderate some different forums um, for parents of kids with ADHD, and uh, my first suggestion is always sit down with pen and paper and try to come up with a parenting plan. How do you address treatment? How do you address different behaviors that are a struggle? And 
make it the same with both parents in both households or, you know, even parents who are still together but are struggling with this. You know, you want your child's experience to be the same as much as it can be with each parent um, because that consistency and that structure and that routine is so important for kids with ADHD. Um, behavior will be better when they know what to expect. Um, and if you have two wildly different parenting approaches and they're bouncing back and forth between those, again, even if it's in the same house, um, that's really confusing and that leads to um, worse symptoms and worse behavior. And so it's really a critical thing in general for all parents um, to do that. And so it, it, you know, it just struck me as you were talking that if we were all doing that before there was even an issue, maybe we could stop some of it from getting to a point where we need mediators and we need to go to court and we need an attorney. Oh, I think that's absolutely the key to, you know, pretty much a good marriage, uh, to be honest, in, yeah. in a relationship. I mean, if, if people really were more mindful uh, about these things and anticipating them and sitting down and, and thinking them through, you definitely would avoid headaches uh, down, down the line for sure. Uh, and I think with parenting, a lot of times it's, you know, it's stressful. It's so stressful. You're sort of thrust in a situation. You're responsible for a newborn. And, you know, at some point you're just happy that you've been able to shower, um, much less do anything like sitting down and trying to devise plans for, you know, what if complications arise and what if we don't agree in five years about, you know, what school to send him to or different things like that. So, um, I think, you know, parents do need to try to, to take a step back and it's not a failure to say, I, you know, I think we should go see a third party to talk about these issues. I think that's a success. If you're, if you're still, you know, in a relationship with the parent and you're able to head that off, then that is a success. Absolutely. I think anytime we can be proactive um, and, and I don't want people to look at it as not being as being pessimistic or something or, or assuming that their marriage is going to fail. It's not really about that. It's about being proactive for your child and really setting a standard together that you agree upon so that you can do the best for your child. Um, It's really not about the two parents. It's about the kids. Right. Exactly. And I think going in back, leading sort of back to something you said there, you know, in terms of trying to create this agreement process, I mean, it's going to be uh, a signal to you as a parent, if you guys can't agree on who the doctor is at all, you know, finding that one person that you trust with your, you know, with your child's health um, is a big key. And if there's, you know, if there's something about the doctor that your co-parent or your spouse doesn't like, then maybe you need to look for somebody that you can both agree on um, because then you're most, you're more likely to sort of trust their opinion and their decisions. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, That's a good point too. Just agreeing on the physician um, can be critical later when you do have those disagreements, then you both feel comfortable relying on the opinion of that physician. Yeah. I think a lot of times um, we, we see situations where one parent has, made the selection 
for the other parent. And maybe that's just, you know, based on how they were working the relationship, you know, one was making more of the domestic and, and child care uh, decisions and the other was doing uh, work outside of the home. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that can cause part of the disagreement because one parent really does rely on that physician and the other parent is just hasn't been as involved in that and is not really so sure what's so great about this physician anyway, you know? Right. Yeah. So let's talk then about what happens when parents disagree about treatment. Cause I think that's the real stickler. Like there's so much of it that can really be worked through, but when one parent feels very strongly that their child not take medication for ADHD and the other parent feels very strongly that they want to try medication because they want to see if that's going to help, you know, it, and a mediator may not be able to, you know, at that point, it's almost changing minds. It's changing belief systems. You know, one believes that medication is terrible and the other believes that it could really be so wonderfully helpful. How do you possibly reconcile that? Um, I mean, in that situation, most likely you're, you are going to end up in a court setting um, because it's, it's so important um, that this decision be made. Uh, and I, I would say that, you know, uh, most courts are not going to necessarily be reluctant to try medication if that's where you're at in this process. You know, you've tried other things, you've tried diet, you know, changing diet and doing different things that have been suggested. And now you're at a point where um, your, your doctors are saying this, this could really help. Um, the court's going to listen to that. And many times these cases are going to involve not just you and your spouse and your respective attorneys, uh, but the court will assign an attorney for your child uh, to represent their interests. And, and that person will, you know, want to be looking at this stuff very carefully uh, to try to determine, you know, is this really in the child's best interest? And if we're at that point, then they're going to recommend it. And that's most likely what's going to be ordered. So then that leads me to the question, how involved is the child going to have to be? How impactful is this dispute, this battle over medication going to be to the child? Um, in terms of the child's involvement with the court process? Yeah, I guess so. I just, I, it, when you described that and you said that um, an attorney would likely be assigned to the child as well, then I'm thinking, you know, is the child going to be kind of center stage and watching this battle go on and feeling that push and pull? And, you know, because I think that's a real consideration for parents when you're battling with each other, um, you know, what are you also going to be doing to your child's emotional well-being and to your relationships with your child? Oh, absolutely. Um, I mean, I've seen both kinds of cases. Um, for example, one kind of case where the parents are extremely mindful of trying to keep the child out of the legal process, mm -hmm. uh, trying to not let the child really see the conflict. Um, and you can shield your child um, to the extent you're both working on that same page. Maybe you disagree about the treatment, but you both agree that the child, um, you know, is obviously the most important thing and keeping, you know, shielding him or her from 
the process and the conflict is, is the most important thing. And so you work together for at least that much of it. Um, and that can have a huge impact in helping um, the child, uh, you know, protecting the child and, and maintaining um, the emotional, uh, you know, connections and things that, that are happening. Um, but the child still would need to meet with his or her attorney. Um, and most of the attorneys who work with children are, are fairly adept at, you know, talking with children and, and, you know, trying to not necessarily scare them and, and getting them comfortable in talking about what's happening and things like that. Yeah. Um, so it shouldn't, that shouldn't necessarily be too, too traumatic, um, for, for the child. Um, but then there are the other types of cases where the parents really, they don't consider how painful or what sort of trauma this could cause uh, the child because they're so invested in themselves being right. I'm the one that's right. Um, and, and they put that, you know, they want to, they want to focus, they focus that on that and they, they lose sight of what's really at stake here. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they're focused on their own ego or whatever and, and they can't see sort of the bigger picture here yeah. and they end up putting the child smack in the middle of the conflict and not protecting the child from that uh, because they are so anxious that their child believes that they're the right one or that they're the correct parent or that, you know, the other parent is bad because they're doing X, Y, and Z. That is really traumatizing for children um, because when you attack the other parent um, to your child, you're attacking the child from their perspective and damaging to their self-esteem. It's damaging to their ego and their development and it, that can be a very difficult situation. Yeah, and I and I can see how people can really get wrapped up in their emotions and um, not necessarily really being conscious of feeling like they want to be right, they want to be the one who wins, but that it's still a driver in a lot of their behavior. Um, you know, it's such an emotionally charged event that you're going through and so you know I can see how it's very easy for people to lose sight of the child's experience because they think they're just battling each other when really you know that it's like the child is the rope in tug of war you know they're when you're arguing over what's going to happen with them what their treatment is or what their um, parenting is like you know that they're in the middle it's about them and I think it's real easy to lose sight of that but um, we're certainly cautioning people not to and I think you know again being proactive thinking about these things before they come become a problem is obviously going to be the best outcome 90% of the time Uh, Absolutely. I mean, I think just always kind of recentering yourself around the idea that the child, um, the child's health and well-being are really what's important here um, and trying to refocus that. And I think to a certain degree, that's why, um, you know, parenting therapists and and coordinators do such an effective job um, because you, you can bring the person back to why are you here originally you know, how do you let go of some of the personal conflict that you might not even necessarily be aware um, that you're so focused on that, that you're yeah. damaging your child. And, and I'm not saying that, you know, parents are actively trying to do that damage. I think that they do just, it's, an, it's such an emotional issue. 
Um, and it's so difficult to be in that situation where you disagree so deeply with someone um, that you can sometimes lose yourself. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's real easy to get caught up in that. And I think that that, you know, that's where mindset really comes into play. You know, people who have been thinking about, um, their outlook on these situations ahead of time and trying to plan to remember the child is in the middle to stay optimistic, um, you know, to try to be flexible enough to work together and come to an agreement. You know, if you can get yourself into that space in your mind and your thinking ahead of time, I think that would help as well. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And so let's, I think, let's talk a little bit now about um, what does the scenario look like if they do end up in court? Um, what are we talking about in general terms, I know, but about time frame, um, about how concrete the resolution is? You know, if, if one parent is ordered that they are to comply with medication, say, and the other parent finds that they're not, you know, what then is their recourse in those situations as well? Right. Um, I mean, the court process is not a fast process, right? Uh, especially when it involves children. Um, we do need to take a lot of time to you know, make sure we're making the correct determination, mm -hmm. um, make sure everybody's had um, enough information, that enough experts have been consulted, and um, the attorney for the child has been involved enough to really understand the situation. Um, and then once there is, you know, a, a determination, okay, this child should try this medication, um, there is going to be a court order. And the consequences of violating a court order can be serious, um, especially if it's a court order that says this is in the best interest of your child. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you find out later on that the other parent is not administering the medication, um, that's a serious violation of, of what the court determined. And you would you could bring them back. Um, they could risk losing the access time that they have with their child. Um, you, you can definitely end up in situations where, uh, you are limited to supervised visitations, um, or visitations that would be built around a schedule so that the medication can definitely be administered. Right. Um, and those are our consequences for, for not following that. Um, I think another thing too, that could happen is maybe, you know, the medication is administered and it's administered for a period of time and there isn't any change um, in the child's behavior. And then, you know, you need to have maybe a different type of medication or maybe, you know, work on other ways to, to help address the issue. Um, and those can be left up to the parents if they can somehow communicate. Right. Um, but if, if your relationship is that bad, then you, you're facing, you know, subsequent visits to court. Um, mm. And when you're trying medication for ADHD, the first one rarely ever is the right one. So, you know, I'm just imagining this process of going in and out of court, you know, maybe 10 times before you find a treatment that really works for that particular child. And that's um, I mean, really when, daunting. When you say 10 times, I mean, I would say you're looking at several years worth of, of 
uh, litigation. Yeah, and that's not in the child's best interest because in all this time that it takes to switch the medication, you know, for for parents who agree and you go to the doctor and you say, okay, this one isn't working, here are the side effects, this is the problem, and the doctor says, okay, let's try this one. If you have to go back to court to get both parents to be on the same page with that and approve of that, you're, you know, you're wasting years that a child could be um, really benefiting from treatment. Yeah, and I, I kind of think that that situation would hopefully be few and far between. I, I mean, I've had very contentious cases um, where ultimately, at the end of the day, the parents do start to work out ways that they can communicate. Um, but you do have some cases where it's just that the breakdown in the communication it is so bad that it's questionable as to how these parents are ever going to um, really work together. And that's, I think, tragic for the child. Yeah, I just can't imagine that's, you know, putting a child through the majority of their childhood within this contentious situation. I mean, it's, it's going to be damaging. Very few kids could go through that and not be changed by it. So I think the big message here from our conversation is be proactive, <laughs> plan ahead, put things in place. If you do have a separation agreement or a divorce as to exactly how you're going to communicate and be on the same page. And, you know, if you're not in agreement, what's going to happen, you know, just really be very detailed and definitive up front to try to reduce as much of that, um, the legal parts of it in the back end. Yeah, I definitely think pro being proactive, trying to be forward thinking, and, and then trying to develop less contentious ways to communicate, even if you don't really feel like it. You know, it's really hard but a lot of times you end up having to sort of swallow your pride a little bit and be the bigger parent, be the bigger person. And, and you do that for your child. Um, it's not about you. And you just have to view it as it's not about me. It's not about him. I, I'm just doing this because it's going to help my child. Um, yeah. Sort of refocusing on that. It, it helps a lot. We, I hear experts sometimes talk about taking a photo of your child to school meetings. So you're in these meetings trying to get accommodations for your child and they're, they're often very contentious. It's, you know, one or two parents on one side of the table. There's, you know, five to 10 school staff on the other side of the table. They don't want to give much and the parents want a whole lot so their kid can succeed, you know, and it's that almost that same really contentious situation. And a lot of um, advocates will say, take a picture of your child in a frame, set it at the end of the table and say, this is why we're here. This is who we're here for and leave it there during the meeting to help to keep focusing on. It's not about you and I, it's about this child. This child's well-being is why we're here. And I, I just see that working too, if you're going to mediation or whatever with, um, with these parenting disputes, maybe that could be really um, beneficial to try to stay focused on the real reason that you're there. Yeah, I think that's a, a great suggestion in ways, you know, mental ways to try to refocus mm -hmm. uh, on, on the child and what's really at stake here. 
Yeah. So we're running toward the end of our episode. Was there anything else that you wanted to share with the audience on this subject? I mean, I think parents, we just, we tend to be really hard on ourselves. And Mm -hmm. especially when you're in this situation and you kind of also have doubts about, you know, why can't you convey this information and and how serious it is and how your position should be listened to. Um, You know, it's not just, it's not your it's not a failing. It's not a failing that you have. Um, and you shouldn't, you should try to not get so invested in, in feeling it. It's like a personal failing that I can't communicate with this person. Um, just try to, you know, keep reminding yourself that you're going to work out this process and and it's going to be okay in the end. You just, you know, you need to stay strong and, you know, follow what needs to be done. If you're talking to a, a parenting therapist or if you're talking to a lawyer, um, you know, you just need to sort of follow their advice and, and really, um, you know, not be so hard on yourself. Yeah. And we do tend to be super hard on ourselves as parents. We want everything to be perfect for our kids and there's really no such thing. So, yeah. yeah. But ultimately, I think being proactive and, and keeping your child in mind whenever you have a dispute are the two best tips I think, from our conversation, for sure. Okay. Well, I really appreciated you having me. And I Absolutely. hope that it's been enlightening. It's been an interesting conversation. Yeah. I think it's really going to help so many parents out there because this is a common issue, unfortunately, for a lot of families, um, families who are together and families who are going through separation and divorce. So, um, and, and it's really tough thing to navigate. So any insights and expertise is always welcome. And I do really appreciate your time and um, you sharing some of your wisdom and experience with us. Um, everybody who's listening can go to parentingadhdandautism.com slash 043. This is episode number 43. All of the show notes will be there, links to anything we've talked about, as well as links to Morgan's website and how you may connect if you find yourself in need of her services in New York. Um, And again, I really appreciate you being here. With that, we will conclude this episode and I will see everybody again next time. Thanks for listening to the Parenting ADHD Podcast with Penny Williams. If you like what you just heard, be sure to subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher. Visit the website, parentingadhdandautism.com for so much more on successfully raising kids with ADHD. Be sure to check out the podcast section as well for previous shows. Join us next time for more parenting strategies and insights that actually work for kids with ADHD.